turn there if you would please John chapter 12 we are thankful to have this Sunday to honor mothers we're happy to have mothers with us today if you're just visiting uh, some church family here or if you're mothers that are part of the church family we are very thankful that you can be here the Bible teaches that we are to honor our fathers and our mothers this is one of the Ten Commandments And if you think about that for just a moment, you can see how really important that that is. Uh, God gave just ten commandments, and they cover every possible scenario of human existence. And as one of those ten, the fifth commandment says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And then that commandment is repeated in Leviticus 19, verse number 3, Ye shall fear... Every man his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths, I am the Lord your God. In our study of Matthew's gospel, we've talked often about how Jesus repeatedly contended with scribes and the Pharisees, and their arguments were over the abuses of God's law, and one of the things that the Pharisees had done was to set aside this fifth commandment, and they gave all kinds of excuses not to honor their parents. They gave excuses not to support their parents when they needed help. And they would say things like, well, our money is dedicated to God. And so we can't take money that's dedicated to God and give that to our parents. Jesus said this about it. He said, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother And he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. And then this issue was taken up by the Apostle Paul in his teachings on the family. The Apostle taught Old Testament law, and he taught our obedience to it. And in his letter to the Ephesian church, he said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. And those are great verses. And the Apostle Paul reminds the church that the fifth commandment is the first one that God gave with a promise. And he said, if you keep this, if you honor your parents, it will be well with you and you will live long on the earth. And the general meaning of that is that children that have been taught well to obey their parents are socially well-adjusted, And their lives are more meaningful and they are productive. Well, I want to remind you that this is Sunday. Mother's Day is a great day, but it is secondary in importance to this being the Lord's Day. Most importantly, we come here to worship the Lord. So I hope that you won't mind that as we remember Mother's Day today, that we are also going to worship the Lord. And I've chosen for my text on this Mother's Day a story here in the Gospel of John chapter 12... Uh, The story is also recorded in Matthew chapter 26 and also in Mark chapter 14. And these chapters record a beautiful act of worship that was performed by one of the godliest ladies that we find in Scripture. Would you stand with me, please, in reverence for the reading of God's Word? And we look at John chapter 12 and verse number 1. John 12, verse number 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, 
and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. And Lord, we pray that you'd open up our hearts to this scripture and help us to learn something today about how to worship you in the right way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I know that it's very difficult for you to remember the sermons that I preach from one week to the next. And uh, how much harder it is for you to remember a sermon that I preached last year. But last year on Mother's Day, I did speak about these two ladies that we find in the passage, Mary and Martha. And at that time, we were talking about how Martha was busy working in the house, and she was preparing a meal, and she complained that Mary did not come and help her. So she went to Jesus and complained about it, and instead, Mary was in the other room of the house, and she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him as he taught. Well, we have here another remarkable incident about these two women. Uh, Both of them were Jesus' good friends. They lived in the town of Bethany, and Bethany is just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem and you stand on the Temple Mount and you look towards the east, right across the Kidron Valley, the Mount of Olives rises in front of you, and just over the crest of the hill, just a little ways down the slope, there's this little town called Bethany. There are many towns in villages in Judea that were very hostile to Jesus. You find out in reading the previous chapter 11 that the disciples were against Jesus going back into Judea because they knew that if he went there was so much hostility that he could be he would be put to death. Of course that was Jesus' plan from the beginning. That's what he was going to do. But Bethany was a place where Jesus was generally well received. And he liked to go there. And there were three very special friends that lived there. And that was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now today we're going to concentrate on one of those friends, which was Mary. Now this, of course, is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is not Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was from a small town on the coast of the Sea of Galilee called Magdala. That's why she's Mary Magdalene. This is Mary of Bethany. And she was a very special lady that had some really keen insight. She loved Jesus. She worshipped him. She desired to be with him. She desired to follow him. And all of those are characteristics of a good, godly woman. And she's an example for women everywhere, and I might even say for men everywhere. So I've chosen to uh, talk about her. Uh, The Bible doesn't actually say that she was a mother. There's no mention of any children that she had, but we do know that she was a very godly lady. I remember more than 10 years ago, there was a lady that joined our church, and I suppose you'd say she came into the church with a chip on her shoulder. Uh, She was very upset that the Bible didn't have more stories about women. And she thought our church was just too male-oriented and we didn't respect women enough. Now, I think in general, she thought that Christianity didn't care very much for women. 
And uh, I assured her that wasn't true, that without Christianity, women would be severely repressed. If you go to other cultures around the world where you don't have Christianity, many of them, in many of those cultures, uh, women are pushed down, they have no rights, they're, they're put into submission. But Jesus never treated women in that way. Jesus respected women, and I think he taught us that we ought to do as well. But we also need to understand this, that we are to worship God in the right way, that true freedom uh, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, True freedom is the ability to serve God in the way that he wants to be served. And that is not an innate capability that's found in every person. The only way that we can learn to worship God correctly is when we come to Jesus Christ and we believe in him and our hearts are changed by the gospel of Christ. Well, Mary is an example of a woman that had a heart for God. And this act of worship that we read here caused her to merit special attention from Jesus and a special remembrance in God's word. In fact, if you go back to the Matthew account of this same incident in Matthew 26, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, truly I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. So Mary was a very special lady, She was very instrumental in teaching us how we should worship God. And if you want an example in Scripture where there was a woman who instructed both women and men, you find it here. Because Mary instructed by her actions. She worshipped Jesus. Now let me set the scene for you of what's taking place here in chapter 12. This is not long after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were a very closely knit family. And when Lazarus became sick and it was apparent that he would die, that was a real shock to the family, as you imagine it could be. It would be. And since Jesus was their close friend, they knew that they could count on Jesus. Jesus loved their family. So Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was near death. Now, if you look back in the 11th chapter, you see Jesus' great love for this family. In John 11, the chapter 11, verse number 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, whom thou lovest is sick. And in verse number 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And in those next verses, it tells us about the sickness of Lazarus. And by the time that Jesus arrived there in Bethany, Lazarus had already died. And there's some great verses that are in that section. There are verses there that tell us about the resurrection. But they also tell us that Jesus intentionally waited for Lazarus to die. And this was because he was going there to do this great miracle of raising him from the dead. Now, if you go down to verse number 32, Mary came and she fell at the feet of Jesus and she was in deep sorrow because her brother had died. Verse 32 says, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? 
And they said, Lord, come and see. And then that great verse, verse number 35, it says, Jesus wept. And what great love that Jesus had for Mary and Martha, what compassion he had upon them when he saw them in deep sorrow, in deep sorrow, rather. And so the story goes on. Lazarus had died, and so Jesus raised him from the dead. Well, as we begin chapter 12, there was a dinner party that was planned for Jesus. And no doubt this was a celebration in order to honor Jesus because of his mercy and his grace and his compassion in raising Lazarus from the dead. And so Mary and Martha were there. Lazarus, who had just been raised, he was also there. And they were in the home of another man that, that really had reason also to be grateful to Jesus. This was Simon the leper's house. And no doubt that means he was a former leper or else they wouldn't have been there. Leprosy is an, an incurable disease, but the Bible says it's Simon who is a formal leper, we, or a former leper, and we find that in another place. So it means that Jesus must have healed this man Simon from his leprosy, and so he offered his house for the celebration. Now we might want to notice that, that first today, is that worship is a celebration. Worship is the reaction of your heart in great gratitude for what God has done for you. And so this dinner party was a celebration. It was because of Jesus' compassion of raising Lazarus from the dead because of Mary and Martha and the way that he loved them. And I love this story of Lazarus. You, you really ought to take time to read that in the 11th chapter because it's a picture of what Christ does for lost sinners. Jesus takes people that are dead in their sins, spiritually dead people that have no hope for eternal life, and he calls them. He awakens them out of their spiritual deadness, and, and he calls them to a life of, of, of hope in the gospel. And that's nothing other than an act of God. Dead people can't do anything for themselves. Dead people don't move. They don't act. They don't talk. They don't answer. And that's the way it is with every person who's spiritually dead. You do not have the ability to come to God. Your ears are stopped up because of that spiritual death. But when Jesus comes, he cuts through all of that, and through his sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, he calls dead sinners to life. Is that not a reason to celebrate? If that's happened to you, isn't that a reason to celebrate that God has called you out of your spiritual deadness into spiritual life? That makes you want to worship Jesus. And so family and friends were gathered to worship Jesus. And they celebrated the resurrection to life. And that's one of the reasons why we meet together on Sunday mornings. We're here to celebrate the resurrection to life. Jesus' resurrection, but also our own resurrection from spiritual death into spiritual life. Now let me give you three important facts today about worship. First is that worship pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord when we're thankful to him and express our gratitude. And we see here that Mary went beyond the normal act of worship, and what she did was truly exceptional. She came with this alabaster box of ointment, and she broke that out, and she poured it on Jesus. And in a moment, we'll see how unusual that was and how costly that it was. But when Mary poured out this spike nerd, as the Bible calls it, there was a wave of protest that went across the room. Judas spoke up first, but Matthew records that all of the apostles 
protested this gift. And you'll notice what Jesus says in verse number 7. He said, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. Now here is a woman that set the mighty apostles back on their heels. Here was a woman who had some great spiritual insight because she knew what Jesus was about to do. She knew that Jesus was on his way to the cross and perhaps she would never have the chance to do this for him again. She might not have the chance to be there when when Jesus is taken down from the cross and, and when his body is anointed with all the burial perfumes. And so Mary thought, why should I wait? Why should I take the chance of not being able to do this? I want to come now, and I want to show my love and my gratitude for Jesus. And Jesus was pleased by that. And God is pleased with this, because this is what every human being is designed to do. God made people for worship. Our purpose is to glorify him. And in order for us to do that, Christ purchased our salvation by his death on Calvary, and in our, in our salvation, he mends our brokenness and he puts us back on the right track for the purpose for which we were created. And if you wonder about that, was man created for worship? All you really need to do is to look at the holy angels. What do they do? They spend all of their time in worship. Every moment they are in worship. They think of nothing else but worship. And man, in his stubbornness and his rebellion, does not try to please God. And the Word of God says that God is angry about that. It says that he's angry at the wicked every day. Why is God angry? Well, the simple answer to it is that people don't worship him. He's angry because of that. We don't have the capacity to worship him. And so God brings us to salvation because he desires to be worshipped. It pleases him. And so can you imagine how upside down it would be for a person who claims to be a Christian, who says that they believe in Jesus Christ, how upside down it is for that person not to worship. If you don't come for the singing, and you don't come for the praying and for the preaching, which are all acts of worship, is God pleased with that? And you wonder, are are you the type of person, think about yourself, are you the type of person that would even entertain the thought of doing what Mary did? Do you love Jesus the way that she did? If you want to please God, you must worship him. Next, we see that worship affects others. People have different reactions to worship. Some react positively, and there are some that react negatively. Judas says, what a waste. And some of you could be thinking today, what a waste. Why why should we be in church on a beautiful day like today? So many other things that we could be doing, but we have to get dragged out here to a service by dear old mom because she wants us to be in church. Some people are thinking, when is this thing going to be over? When is church going to be through? We need to get out of here. And there are others that say, we didn't even need to be here in the first place. What we really ought to be doing is, we need to be out there. We don't need to go to church. We need to go out there. We need to tell people about Jesus. But I've learned this about people that never come to worship, and never come to sit at the feet of Jesus, they don't end up working either. I don't have a lot of confidence in non-churchgoers when it comes to doing anything for God. But there are others that have a very positive reaction to worship. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul shall make her boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. When you worship the Lord, others will hear. Did you know that celebrating and worshiping God is contagious? If I'm going to catch something from you today, I'd much rather catch your joy and your peace and your happiness than to catch a cancerous, bitter spirit that are in people that really don't care about worship. You know, people sometimes come to church and they're very disheartened, they're very downhearted, very discouraged about things. David said, The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. When you worship, other people hear and they're glad. A few weeks ago, Frances came into the church and she came in and she said to me, I'm in a grouchy mood today. So after she left the service, I said, are you still grouchy? Do you feel better? She said, oh, I feel a whole lot better now. You see, worshiping makes you feel good. And that's because God has designed it for us to worship him. And a worshiping Christian is always a happy Christian. Now let's go back to this story and let's take a look at the, at the heart of this. I want you to notice also today that worship is a demonstration The dictionary describes worship as reverent love and devotion accorded a deity. And that would certainly define biblical worship. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, the reverent love and devotion that people had for God was always associated with activity. The word worship that we find in the Old Testament actually means to bow down. And that's what worshipers would do. This is what you'd always did with worship. You would bow down. So worship wasn't just what you said, but it's part of your activity. It's something that you do. And then in the New Testament, there is a different word for worship, and there's an added meaning to it. The word worship means also to kiss toward. Now, there's an interesting story about a woman that did to Jesus a very similar act to what we read here in John chapter 12. This this time it happened in Galilee when Jesus was at supper at another man's house, And that man's name was also Simon. And that's caused a lot of people to mix up these two accounts. They're two different ones. And you can read about that one in Luke chapter 7. But in that particular story, there's a woman in Galilee. She's not from Judea. She's not from Bethany where this story takes place. She's in Galilee. And she came and she poured ointment on Jesus. And she washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And so she added another dynamic to her actions as she kissed Jesus' feet. And that was a New Testament act of worship which added to this word that we have today, the word worship. Now, our word worship was originally the old English word worthship. Anything that has value is worthy. And so God was worthy of worship. Now, there are many people that worship other things. They worship money. Sometimes people worship other people. But the truth of what we are to worship, of course, is God because he's the one who's worthy to be worshipped. Worship is described as the expression of my response to an encounter with God. Worship is the expression of my response to an encounter with God. Now, maybe there are some of you that don't do very well with worship, and that's because when you come to church, you don't encounter God. There are other things that are on your mind. Some people don't sing when they come into the services. Some people fold their arms. They, they have a scowl on their face whenever I preach. 
Some of you fiddle with your phones during the service. You have a smartphone, and so you're checking scores or whatever you might be doing. And the reason that you don't encounter God is because you didn't come expecting to encounter God. You've got something else that you're focusing on. So I don't expect that you're going to encounter God today unless you come expecting to encounter him. You will worship God whenever you are aware of his presence. You can't do anything else but worship God when you're aware of his presence. This, is all, this always happens to people that are Christians. When they know that God is with them and they come to a place like this and they hear singing, they hear preaching, they hear praying, their automatic response to that encounter with God is always, we must worship him. Well, how do you demonstrate worship? I think we can learn something from Mary. Mary was at the top of her game when it came to worship. So we notice here that she worshiped with unashamed adoration. Verse 3 says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now that was a very different time and place from today. The customs were different then. Some things that they did were, would be considered very strange to us today. One of the things that Mary did was considered to be a terrible social faux pas. And that is, she came into the room with all these people and publicly she let her hair down. Now the women in those days had much more hair than most women do today. And the women always kept their hair up. Whenever they were in public, they kept their hair up. Letting the hair down was considered to be a very personal, intimate thing to do. But being politically correct and being socially correct did not stand in the way of Mary's worship. Publicly, she wanted to show the affection that she had for Jesus. Now, people today have a very strange idea about their faith. And you'll hear people say, well, faith, that's a very private matter. I don't talk about my faith. My faith is something very personal to me, personal to me, so I don't talk about it. Did you know that's an idea that's terribly opposed to Scripture? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Your faith is a demonstration of your worship of God, and that's not something to hide. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, that faith that's in you ought to burst forth like a light shining out of heaven. People ought to know that you're a believer in Jesus. And what better demonstration could you have than to show it publicly how much you love him? And that's what Mary did. Now, the disciples weren't often keen on these kind of public displays. Uh, Remember, I think it was last week we were talking about Peter, and Peter denied the Lord three times in public. I mean, when it came down to, do you love Jesus and are you a follower of him? Three times Peter said, I don't even know him. But not Mary. Mary never denied Jesus. Publicly, she wanted people to know where her trust was. She worshipped. And so in front of everybody, she let her hair down and she wiped Jesus' feet. Have you thought about that? How ashamed that you are of Jesus? Are you ashamed to show people that you're a Christian? Are you one of these Christians that goes into a restaurant and you duck under the table when you pray for your meal? Keep one eye open to see if anybody's looking to see if you're praying. Or do you even pray at all when you go into a restaurant? I mean, are you ashamed of that, that you know Jesus? How many people walk out of their houses going to church or someone else 
and they have their Bible, but they tuck it under something so nobody can see it, so the neighbors don't know that they have it. How many of you have ever taken a Bible to work with you? And there on your lunch break or whatever time that you have, a little bit of time to spend, opened your Bible and read God's Word. Why, why wouldn't you do that? Are you ashamed of Jesus? It's a question I think that we need to ask. We should never be ashamed of our faith in Jesus Christ. I promise you this, he's never ashamed of you. He may be when you act like a heathen. But in general, we can say Jesus is not ashamed of us because we are his children. Well, this was Mary. She, she worshipped Jesus with unashamed adoration. And it's hard to adore someone that you're ashamed of. Now, I want you to catch the next point, though, especially. And that is that she worshipped with unselfish sacrifice. Now, there are several interesting aspects concerning the ointment that Mary used to anoint Jesus. The Bible says that it was spikenard and it was very costly. If you understand where this ointment came from, you'd understand why it was so costly. Many scholars believe that this was a perfume that was imported from high up in the Himalayan mountains on the northern border of India. And in those days, it was very difficult with the transportation to, to get those kinds of perfumes out of the Orient, get them to a trading place where they could be sold, get them to a place like Jerusalem. And so scholars say this was so expensive to do that this is what Mary had, and this is what she poured out on Jesus. Now, you know who lets us know, actually, who, how valuable that it is? The person that lets us know is Judas. That old rascal Judas, he's the one that noticed it and, and spoke about how expensive that it was. He was a money lover. And so no doubt he spotted Mary coming into that room with the alabaster box, and that caught his eye. This is something very expensive. Now here our King James Version says it's an alabaster box. Well, really what it was, it's more like a, a jar with a long neck made out of, a, of, a, of marble, a, a, a jar with a long neck, and it contained this very sweet-smelling perfume. And what Judas was doing, he was breaking his neck to get his hands on it. And this is what Mary would do. She would break, what she did, she would break the neck of that long, of that jar, that long slender neck on the jar of perfume. She broke that out, and she poured it on Jesus. It was very costly. It was worth about one year's wages. Now, Judas wasn't worried about the poor when he said this. He was worried because the Bible says he had the bag. He was a thief. He kept the money for the apostles. And so Judas wouldn't have given it to the poor. If he could have got his hands on it, then he would have pilfered it and used it for himself. And we don't know how Mary came into possession of such a costly perfume. There's nothing in the Bible to indicate this was a rich family. So people think that, well, maybe she inherited it. Maybe she saved up and for a long, long period of time she had it or it was in her family for a long time. And I read an interesting opinion by one person who, who said that this was a spontaneous act of worship. It was a non-thinking sort of thing that she just came in the room and she got overcome with this and so she just burst out with joy and she took this and she poured it out on Jesus without even thinking about the consequences of the cost. And there are people who believe that's the way worship has to be. You can't intend to do it. It's something that just happens to you. But I don't think that's quite right. This was a very expensive perfume. This is not something that Mary carried around with her all of the time. Since it was expensive, there were people that would try to take that from her. There were many other thieves besides Judas. 
So probably she had this hid away in her house where people couldn't steal it given half the chance. And then in this story, she's not in her own house. She can't step into the next room and and get this jar of of perfume and, and take it out. But instead, she had to plan for this. She had to bring it with her to this dinner party. She had to find it in her house where it's hidden, bring it with her with full intent, recognizing the cost of this. So she brought it to the dinner party with full intention of what she would do with it. She knew the cost, and she would pour it out on Jesus. And she poured it all out. She gave of her very best. She had the intention of sacrificing it all for Jesus. And people thought there, what a terrible waste. But she disregarded what it cost, disregarded how it could have made her life better if she'd sold it and used the money. Think about that for a minute. This was a year's worth of wages. Would you ever think of doing that? Would you ever think of giving such a costly gift to Jesus? Who would do that in worship? You know, most of the time, we give Jesus our leftovers, if we even give him that. Mary took what was uh, worth a year's worth of wages, and she poured it out on Jesus. And when I think about this, I think back to the Old Testament and a story about David who wanted to make an offering to God. This is in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. I'd like you to turn there if you would, please, and we'll finish the message today with this scripture. And this is just a remarkable story about two men, two men who had the right idea of how to give to God. And both of these men wanted to worship, and both of them were willing to sacrifice. Now let me give you the scene what takes place here in First Chronicles 21. David, King David, had made a terrible mistake of being prideful and not being dependent upon God. And so he sent his general, Joab, to go out and number the people. And his intention was that David would see how large his army was and David would be prideful. David could gloat about what a great army that he had. And without going into all the details, I'll just say this, that God was displeased with David. And so he sent a great pestilence on Israel. And there were 70,000 people in Israel that died. David was then in danger of losing it all. 70,000 people had died. And the Lord was right then ready to destroy the entire city of Jerusalem. But David repented of his sin. He began to intercede with God on behalf of the people. And when intercession is made, there always has to be a sacrifice. And so David was told by God to offer a sacrifice. Now, another interesting part of the story is where that sacrifice was made. This this place where it was to be made was owned by a man named Ornan. And it was a place that Ornan used as a threshing floor. In other words, he had oxen there, and they would tread out the the, the grain, and they would make flour there. And also, this is the very same place where Abraham took Isaac to make a sacrifice of him. It is also the same place that we know today as the Temple Mount, where Solomon built that great temple to the Lord. Now, it's in this chapter, verse 18. This is Ornan's threshing floor where all this takes place. It says, Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad, that's the prophet, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. 
And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee. And let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. I give thee the oxen also, the burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. And king David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price. For I will not take that which is thine for the lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. So David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. Here you have two men who have the same idea. Ornan was willing to give David his threshing floor. But not only that, he says, I'm going to give you the oxen for the sacrifice as well. You see my ox here? That's the oxen that are grinding out the wheat. You can take those and you can make your sacrifice. And not only that, you can take all the wooden instruments that I use for threshing the wheat and you can take those and you can burn those in the fire for the altar to sacrifice. And then he said, not only that, I'm going to give you all the wheat that's here that we've threshed out. You can have the whole supply and you can offer that as a meal offering to God. Ornan said, I give it all. I give it all to you. And that's because he believed in worshiping God. This was his demonstration. This was his act of surrendering everything to God. Well, David had a pretty good deal, didn't he? But David wouldn't take it for free. In today's prices, David gave Ornan about $360,000 for what he could have had for free. Why didn't he take the offer? Very simple. It's because of worship. He believed that God is valuable and God is to be worshipped, just like Mary believed Jesus was valuable and needed to be worshipped. Now, back at our story of John chapter 12, verse number 3, it says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And so Mary broke the neck on the alabaster jar, and she poured it all out on Jesus. And then she bent down, and she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And as she did, that swishing motion going back and forth caused that fragrance of that exquisite perfume to fill all the room where they were. And when Mary was over, I'm sure that Mary walked from room to room in the house, And some of them would say, what is that lovely smell? There were probably people there that were poor because Jesus ministered to poor people. They they may have never even smelled anything like this before. And they said, what is that beautiful fragrance? What is that smell? And so Mary said, I've been with Jesus. The fragrance of the perfume was upon her because she had been with Jesus. She sat at the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And when you truly worship him, people will say about you, I smell something different. I see something different about you. And that's when you can smile and you can say, Oh, I've been with Jesus.
broken and spilled out just for love of you, Jesus. My most precious treasure lavished on thee, broken and spilled out and poured at your feet in sweet abandon. Let me be spilled out and used up for thee. If you are a Christian, if you are a born-again Christian, you will give Jesus the valuable worship that he deserves. And then no one will ever mistake what that beautiful fragrance is that you have been with Jesus. Now Mary is just a wonderful example of what it means to worship Jesus in the right way. Here is a woman who taught those 12 apostles a few things. Jesus is so valuable that it means we must offer what is most valuable to us. Have you offered something to Jesus? What have you sacrificed for him when he sacrificed his life for you? You see, when you worship Jesus and you love him, his fragrance fills you. The smell of Jesus is on you. It's in your walk. It's in your talk. It's in your attitude. Jesus permeates every part of your life when you know him and you worship him. Broken and spilled out just for love of me, Jesus. God's most precious treasure lavished on me. You were broken and spilled out and poured at my feet. In sweet abandon, Lord, you were spilled out and used up for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today and we thank you for this wonderful story that we've read. What it truly means to worship Jesus Jesus is the most valuable thing that we could ever come in contact with. Jesus gave his life to save us from our sins. And we know that he is worthy of worship for the great love and compassion and the mercy that he shows upon us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to some person's heart here today. Again, we are thankful for mothers and we want to honor our mothers today. But we do want to give you the most honor and glory for everything that we've done today. You were broken and spilled out for us. And may we be willing to sacrifice for you, surrendering all to you because of the great love that you have for us. Bless our people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.